we've uh, almost finished our second full day of practice. Um, you know, it's a wonder why we suffer when we come to a place like this sometimes. Uh, I mean, think about it. The land's beautiful. You know, it's not the Hilton, but it's actually as far as uh, retreat centers go. It's pretty nice. <laughs> In fact, uh, Ajahn Amaro was... Uh, I, uh, quoted is when they first built this thing in place, he said, now people are going to suffer more because they won't be able to blame it on their surroundings. I mean, I know many of you are blaming it on your surroundings, but uh, we'll have to uh, come face to face with that it's our own minds. But think about it. We come here, and at least on this retreat, we've been encouraging you to take it easy Sit in a way that's comfortable. You can even lie down. If not, we don't want you to lie down to sleep, but if, if your back is injured or something, you could uh, uh, meditate lying down if you need to. Take care of yourself. Right? Find how much sleep you need. Find how much uh, exercise you need. Right? I think the food's pretty good here. I, some people may not agree with. with. Bring your own food. Do whatever it takes to optimize the, your circumstances here. And you don't even have to make anything happen. All, you have, all we're asking you to do is just be aware of whatever it is that actually is happening. And then we sit down and, and we see how hard just it is just to be present with ourselves sometimes or how hard it can be. I, I know that um, I have a rule of thumb, and I think it's reasonably accurate. At, even, at any given time on any retreat, a third of us are in heaven, a third of us are in hell, another third are somewhere kind of in between, and we're all moving in and out of those categories all the time. <laughs> So you may, some of us may be having a relatively easy time. I know some of us are. Some people are probably suffering a lot. I happen to know that's true for some who've shared with me. And some maybe you're getting a dose of both. Whatever's going on with you, I promise you have a lot of company. Even when we optimize our conditions just by stopping the, as much as we can, the external uh, distractions and just come to, try to come to some kind of quietude to be present with ourselves. Well, first we start, we start to see how out of control our minds is, are. Uh, that can be uh, uh, disconcerting right there when we start to really get it how hard it is just to sit down and, and, and be at peace. For many of us, you just can't do it. I mean, you might be able to do it in a moment, but how hard it is. And it's pointing to where the, the work is that needs to be done. We sit down, our bodies ache, emotional stuff comes up, or even if none of that's happening, maybe it's just because you know, you're not getting the samadhi that, that you expected. It's not going how you want. Right? Um, and uh, some of you have heard uh, this, this example I'm about to give. I use it often, but I think it's very striking. Notice sometimes when you are um, sitting here, say you're having a rough sit, and then you hear, and the mind goes, oh, and it's like you haven't even moved. Something let go in the mind, and it's just like, oh, great. And you just, you're not suffering anymore. That's an interesting place to know. It, it's really showing how much of your suffering was. It wasn't that your knee hurt. It was that the mind had contracted. And it didn't take much. I mean, that's not that much of a thing. <laughs> 
and we go, ah, but that's good news. It means it's, the liberation's not that far away, right? It's not that far. If this can go from hell to heaven, it's good as it should encourage us. But we still need some help, right? The, uh, the liberation that the Buddha was pointing to, you know, in our tradition, it's often called a liberation through non-clinging. And so that's a big topic. We may get to some of that. Uh, the talk tonight, I'm going to continue with what uh, Temple started, but I want to get into the nuts and bolts a little more of uh, what is this say some more about samadhi and, and really in some detail about some of the ways co- this concentration and experiences can unfold and start now. You know, we've been taxing down the runway and you may not feel like you're taking off yet, but uh, uh, you are. <laughs> and uh, we all are. And so we're starting to now going to get more into uh, some detail tonight. I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk on the insight side some too. And also really about this, what the main theme is, is how these are synthesized, how we're teaching it to be synthesized, integrated, unified into one uh, practice. And I'm actually more of, 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 a, of a unified approach than Temple. I'm sorry he couldn't be here tonight. I think he'll probably listen to this talk. And um, he's got a lot of experience around samadhi, and I think he's got a lot of wisdom. I'm super happy to have him here. I'm actually glad, you know, we'll, we'll be bringing slightly different perspectives. Um, but, you know, uh, I want to say a little more about where I'm coming from on that uh, tonight. So that's where we're, where, where we're going to get to. So I'll say a little bit on the insight side, too. But I'm just glossing over this. What does it mean, the liberation through non-clinging? We're just going to let that kind of sit for now. But that really gets to the essence the whole, the whole dharma. And that would be a whole talk, a whole retreat, a whole lifetime of study and practice. Right? One way to think of it is it's, it's on a simple applied level is, is that we can find a liberation. Well, I like the word enlightenment uh, personally, but we'll just say a liberation, a freedom that's independent of not, let's just say, not totally dependent on circumstances, on conditions. Wouldn't that be nice? To find a place of freedom of the heart and the mind where we rest at ease and equanimous and at peace. And it's not dependent on what our experience is. It's more about how we're relating to whatever's going on. That's the liberation that pointed to. And we've all had tastes of that. So we may say more about that. I think in a few nights there'll be a, uh, I'm at least now planning to give a talk really focusing on the insight side. Maybe we'll say more about that there. But again, you know, the, the Buddha says don't cling. We're all sitting up here talking to ourselves and talking to all of you saying don't cling. And then we start to see can't do it. You can do it in a moment for sure. We all can do it in lots of moments. But when the right causes and conditions come together, we're just hooked right back in. So we need some help. That's what we're doing here. We're cultivate. That's why we cultivate these qualities. Mindfulness, so we're not just lost on automatic pilot. Uh, that's mindfulness is defined in a lot of ways. Um, my definition is not being on automatic pilot. Some people say, you know, when you've lost your mindfulness, you've sort of gone unconscious or gone to sleep. And we know what they mean, but of course you're not unconscious, you're not asleep. You're, in, you're walking around, living your life. You're just completely immersed and caught up in things. And there's no freedom and liberation in that. Uh, and there's no choice in that moment. We're just at the effect of however our minds happen to be conditioned for better or worse. And we shouldn't try worry too much about those times because there's nothing you can do about it. You don't even know you're lost. Don't worry. I mean, you may cre- be creating a lot of suffering sometimes. So, you know, but what are you going to do? It's just like when we sit here to meditate, right? 
And we sit and try to be with the breath, and then depending on how it is for you, at least, you know, we all can... There's meditative states of jhana where the mind can never wander, and we keep mentioning jhana, and we're purposely not going to, at least at this point, get into a lot of that. That might come a little later, but uh, where mind cannot wander, and it's very blissful, and it's, it's, it's great, very pleasant. We'll say a little bit more tonight. But for most of us, we wander, and when that happens, you don't even know you're gone. Until you woke, wake up and realize you've been gone. So we don't worry about that. Let's work with the time we have when we're present, right? We cultivate these qualities. And one of the qualities we need is, is, is mindfulness. We need a clear, steady, undistracted awareness. Right? Those of you who are experienced on retreat know what happens once we, you know, we go through our settling in process, whatever that is for you, and then we, we drop in deeper and how everything's changed, right? Once you've, uh, compared to your first day coming in, compared to, you know, two-thirds in or whatever in a retreat or when you're deep in it, and because you have the support of the concentration of the samadhi, it's a whole different game. How much, we're, how much more effortless, easy, and clear and awake we can be. Those of you who are new, you might be wondering, uh, when's that coming? <laughs> Where's this bliss I keep hearing about? But, uh, so patience, and let's just practice well, and um, uh, don't start judging by the end of the second day on a retreat. Believe me. Let's talk in a couple more days. It's amazing what can happen in a short amount of time. Again, it's just like you know, when we're, we're in suffering, and then you hear this, at the, and, and, and we're for free. You know, check in at the end of this retreat with the, you know, call it a seven-day retreat, uh, and, and how much can happen in a few days. It's just, it's awesome what can happen. And that should be inspiring to us also, that, that, that these uh, states are not that far away, and this deepening is not so far away. It, right? And we can, we can get back to it. One of, you know, um, so of all these qualities we're, we're cultivating, samadhi is, uh, it's an essential part of the path. And right samadhi of the Eightfold Path is defined as the four jhanas. There's actually four, four jhanas, it turns out. So it gets a little more complex. Explicitly, and that's not just tucked away in the corner of a sutta somewhere. Over and over, right samadhi, it's not just be pretty concentrated. It's the four jhanas, period. So that's what the Buddha was talking about aiming towards. So we could have called this retreat a jhana retreat. It is. But that's not quite accurate because it's also a four foundations of mindfulness retreat an insight retreat, a subconcentration retreat, all one thing retreat. So these, this quality of samadhi is very, very important. And um, any of you who've been in the Dharma scene for any length of time know that there's a huge, wide range of views about the place of concentration in insight meditation, right? So you'll have... Uh, you know what it is, and where, and and how, and so some teachers say, you gotta. Personally, anytime someone says gotta get, whether it's us telling ourselves someone, that's a red flag right there. I'm just, I don't know, just watch out. It's a p- real potential for suffering. Right? Here, there's no gotta get. Matter of fact, we're emphasizing what the. Anti, got to get. <laughs> but we're still making a big, big deal about concentration. We don't. It's it's hard to understate its importance. But some teachers, so some teachers say you, you got to get not only samadhi, you got to have jhana or just forget it. You're wasting your time. There's teachers like that. Others are on the other end of the spectrum. They're the anti-samadhi. Yeah. Uh, 
um, you know, watch out, you're going you're to get attached. And they shy you away from it. The Buddha was not, uh, was not one of them. And um, here's what the Buddha said, at least as quoted in the Pali Suttas. So, Buddha. Jhana is called the pleasure of renunciation, the pleasure of seclusion, the pleasure of peace, the pleasure of enlightenment. I say of this kind of pleasure that it should be pursued, that it should be developed, that it should be cultivated, that it should not be feared. That's pretty clear. And there's a lot more quotes. I'm going to give you a few more. So I'm, I'm in the middle. As I said, um, uh, I don't think you have to get anything. And I think we'd, let's appreciate John. I think it's a disservice uh, 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 to not give it its rightful place, but hold it with, with a, you know, how, as I said on Friday night, you can want it. You don't have to pretend that you don't want it. The trick is, how can we not want it? How can we want it and not grasp after it? Right? Here's just one more quote from the Buddha. He says, this is, this is a stunning, I think. He says, there's five detrimental things that lead to the decay and disappearance of the true Dharma. Okay, so just... Let that sit for a second. That's, that's a pretty strong statement. So these five things we should pay attention to, right? Because they lead to the decay and disappearance of the true Dharma. What are the five? And then he says, uh, the practitioners, men, women, monks, lay people, they dwell without reverence and deference towards the teacher, number one, without reverence and deference towards the Dharma, without reverence and deference towards the Sangha, without reverence and deference towards the training. And the fifth is without reverence and deference towards Samadhi. So anyway, maybe that's enough of the sales pitch. <laughs> Let's just say we don't want to make Samadhi more than it is. It's their conditioned states, but we don't want to diminish its importance either. Okay. Last night... So let's get into some details. Last night, uh, Temple talked about some of the this word samadhi. It's the word, but every time we say concentration, we're tra- we're, it's a translation of this word samadhi. Um, if Temple hadn't said it last night, I would have said it. I, I don't like the word concentration either. It carries a lot of baggage and I think too many, just all these different connotations. Uh, he said unification of mind. If you actually look sort of at the etymology of the wor- word, it really means undistracted. And so while there's a huge range of views, as we said, about the place of, of, of concentration, no Buddhist teachers argue with the importance of undistracted. You know, no teachers are saying, you know, be distracted, right? So if we, every time someone says concentration, if we translate in our minds undistracted, we'll never have any problems. And I think we'll have the most useful understanding. But we should, uh, um, we need to clarify a little bit more because an undistracted mind can manifest in a number of ways and we're going to want to start paying attention. I don't want you to stir your mind up about this, but in the instructions starting tomorrow and as we build, we're actually going to start to pay attention to different flavors of the way undistractedness can arise especially because of wanting to practice in a way that's unifying these practices. There are many experiences of samadhi, right? So when you start getting concentrated on a retreat, how is it you know you're getting, you're deepening or settling? You're having some kind of experience, right? So, and it varies tremendously. You start to feel more still, quiet, spacious, perhaps. You don't have to have all of these. I'm just going to name a whole bunch. Uh, Calm. It can feel very pleasant. And sometimes we can identify that pleasant. And the pleasant pleasures can actually get extremely strong. And we actually start calling it bliss at some point. Or PT is one of these jhana factors. Some of people really experience it very obviously in the body. And energies can move in the body for some people. Not, not everyone, I'm just naming some. For some people, it's, it's clearly not in the body and it's more 
disconnected from the body more mental and others it's hard to identify where it might be some people start seeing lights i'm guessing most people don't but some do some start hearing sounds you know maybe it feels like you know otherworldly celestial i don't know what kind of sounds just nice appealing attractive sounds <laughs> right and they're 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 compelling there uh, you know so any of you've had any experience again i if you're if you're brand new, uh, we don't want to. We want to be careful about setting up expectations. But I think we just need to let's just say it all out. We're all family here. We want to just talk about this stuff, right? We don't want to fall into judging and comparing minds. So there's no particular. This is real important. What I'm about to say. There's no particular experience that you're supposed to have in when samadhi starts to deepen. In fact, when you get to these deepest states called jhana. The range of experiences possible in jhana, the Buddha defined, there's a list of what's called four imponderables. Maybe later if, if I could tell you the other four, but if we have time. But uh, four things where the Buddha said, don't even try to figure it out because you just can't. It's like, how did existence get started in the first place? It's that kind of stuff. And even if you could, it would just blow your mind if you tried to. He didn't, but basically, that's informalized language, that's what he said. Um, and you couldn't figure it out anyway. The range of experiences in John is one of those. Okay? So we don't want to compare to anyone else. This is real important. It's what actually is happening for us. This is how it is for us. Some people's bodies will start to move. Energies will move and their bodies will move around. And you might occasionally, I don't know if you ever open your eyes and glance around, but if you do, once in a while you'll see one or two or three people on just probably any, most retreats. There'll be a few. and That's just how it is for them. It's not good or bad. And then some people will, you know, you want to be careful because if you see someone doing that, and you, then if your mind starts going, oh, nothing's happening for me, but wow, they must really be deep. Already you're just, it's not like that. So a huge range of, of experiences. The most important to me is the undistractedness itself. The lights, the bliss, and everything. That, I call that the experiences of samadhi. It's kind of the content of a concentrated mind or experience. But the actual undistractedness can be very powerful, even if there's not a lot of fireworks going on. Or if there's a lot of fireworks, and what can happen is we can get caught up in the content and we miss the underlying, just pure clarity of the mind. I like to think of it, an image some of you have heard me use, another thing I say often is it's like we're turning our mind into, and there's two images, Hubble telescope, or the opposite, an electron microscope. And And it can go both ways, and both images work. That's the undistractedness that power of the mind. That's what's really, really important. So that undistractedness, let me name two. This is is just broad categories. There might be other variations of this, but uh, just to give us an idea. So say say you're working with the breath or whatever it is you're doing as an object you keep coming back to. If you cultivated your ability to be concentrated or undistracted far enough, you could come to a point where um, the mind would never wander from the breath or from the mantra or if you're gazing at something or whatever it is. And if you took it ultimately far enough, you'd be so well, we'll just say well concentrated, well focused on that one thing, whatever the experience is, that you just wouldn't notice any other experiences. And you can get to a point, if you head in that direction, where... So say, I'll just make up one example of what might come. Say your experience of samadhi is light, blissful light, say. That would be pretty pleasant. And it can get very compelling. And you're kind of drawn, you want to go into the light. It could be the feeling of it, say. And if you took that far enough, you're so engrossed, or the word temple used, absorbed, that your whole experience just, you kind of go in and just, you've left experience of everything else behind. Can't feel your body, can't hear sounds, and there's only 
pure bliss and light, if you took it really, really far. I mean, we're talking, right? That's, you're undistracted, but you don't have any other experience except just the one thing that you're focused on. Think of it like, you know, there's the image of, uh, there's the husband Sunday morning reading the sports page, and he's absorbed in what he's reading, and the wife's saying, honey, 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 and he's, uh, he just doesn't hear her. That's an absorption into just the one thing. So you, that's kind of the idea. So we can take that very far. What happens for us then is the flow of changing experiences stops for us if we took it that far because you're just totally undistracted on one thing in this example, bliss or light. And it would be great. I mean, you wouldn't be complaining. You wouldn't, actually would not want to come out probably. It feels great. And it actually has a, a lot of benefits. It's healing. It's, it's nourishing. It's, uh, there's a lot of benefits just for its own sake, for sure. It's not the ultimate goal of liberation because these states come and go, but um, it has benefits. So that's one style. There's another style that's very different. It's just as deep. It's just as undistracted. But rather than uh, undistracted on one thing so that the flow of experiences comes to a stop. The mind itself comes to a stop, but it's actually quite open and broad and present for a whole range of flow of experiences that come and go. You haven't lost connection with changing experience. The connection with changing experiences is enhanced. The mind's come, it's unified, it's just as deeply... uh, Last night, uh, something that um, actually... Temple and I have been talking about, he said, well, it's just a matter of depth of samadhi. Well, I'm, I'm just giving you a different take on it. So pick whatever works for you. Uh, I'm saying it's not a difference in depth, different kind of samadhi, different kind of undistractedness. The actual undistractedness self is equal. And when you taste those, mind can't move. It's, you're still this feeling of an absorption, but it's something about whatever the mind is, and I, I don't actually know what the mind is. I'm using the term, but but anyway, the mind, something, whatever the heck it is, stops. It ain't moving. You cannot be distracted. The mind can never wander. And in both of these versions, it's happening on its own. The sense of doing has even dropped away because it's so still. I know, eh, this is, you know, well, this is getting subtle, so because uh, there's another part of the mind that can do. So anyway, never mind about that. So uh, well, that's different because it's just one part's not moving, and this other little part that's going, "Huh, what's this?" And so it's doing. I don't know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> All right, to, you get, but you get the idea. Narrow, uh, what we call fixed concentration on one pointed on one thing, or open, undistracted. As the mind is stopped, but it's not on an object. It's a stopped mind, but it's open to everything. And it's really what uh, Ajahn Chah was talking about when he, his well-known quote where he says, uh, make your mind like a still-forced pool. And it goes something like, make your mind like a still-forced pool. That's what we're talking about in the second kind of undistractedness. All kinds of rare and wonderful animals will come to drink at the pool. In other words, all kinds of experiences will come and go. He says, it's so beautiful the way he says it, I can't quite capture it, but it's Something like that. And he says, uh, you, will, you will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. And then he goes on to talk about you know, the insights that come from it. That's what he's talking about, the second kind of undistractedness. Well, this distinction is important. In order to have um, insight... Uh, well, first we say, so both of these go to jhana. They're different, two different. It turns out there's multiple jhana systems out there. And the reason for that is that by definition, so I, uh, one night we might read it, uh, in the Pali Suttas, there's a text. It's a stock standard formula. And it's repeated throughout the suttas. And it says, if, here's jhana. And it's, there, it's, it's a definition. And there could be, I suppose very profound, deep states of samadhi, but they didn't happen to match the definition. We just can't call them jhana because jhana is these words. 
turns out that um, uh, when you look, read the words, uh, there are many different kinds of experiences that fit the same verbal description. So all these different people can legitimately be teaching the real jhana. There's a lot of systems out there. But one of the main distinctions is which of these kinds of undistractedness we're heading for. And I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. One of the things we want to watch for, and we'll, speak, we'll actually get, you don't, don't have to remember this tonight, but it will come in the instructions, is if you just stayed with your breath and took the concentrations far enough, you would, ha- roughly half of us would tend to naturally head towards one kind of, of undistractedness and half of us would tend to head towards the other if nobody was guiding us. So one of the things we're going to start attending to is, and it'll either be on this retreat or just over the course of your meditation career, uh, is how it goes for us. We also want to have a sense of where we'd like to aim it because not only will we notice what naturally happens, but then when it gets quite strong, we can steer it in the other direction. Don't worry about the details right now. It's not hard to do. And, and we'll actually, they'll come into the... I'm actually going to tell you what it is in just, in just a bit. So um, insight requires, in our tradition, typically the traditional way is, is insights into what's called the three characteristics. Temple was talking about anicca, dukkha, nata, impermanence, what's dukkha, suffering. I like to use the word unsatisfactoriness, but we'll say suffering, and no self. Or that's anatta, so that's a thorny one. Uh, so um, we basically the idea is, is as we as we penetrate this word vipassana, which we translate as insight. I think penetrate is a better word. The pasana comes from this word pasati, means to see, and the vi, the prefix, ha, uh, has the sense. This is what a Pali scholar told me. It's like if you wanted to see to the ground, and there was these weeds. It's like putting your hands down into the weeds and pulling apart. There's sort of a pulling apart, so you can see to the ground. So there's a pulling apart and seeing. So really to see clearly, penetrate deeper up below the surface appearance of things. So we really not just, we see, we understand, we experience whatever words you like. More deeply, it's more informs our awareness about impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, selflessness. And that's in service. It's not ultimately about insights. It's about that's in service of, of a liberation of heart and mind. Right? So um, uh, we need changing experience to, see, to, to have that. If you just absorb into the bliss, like if in, in that moment it's not changing. It's highly satisfactory. And you can have experience that feels like the permanent eternal self, like it feels like in, in the early, when I first started my practice in 1970, I, I moved to the Buddhist world kind of in the maybe 76 or 77. But my early years, I lived in an ashram for several years. It was all concentration practice. And you'd have these experiences, and there they're talking about, you know, they would use words like merging in oneness with God, which sounds pretty nice to me. And you can have real experiences like that, so it's, you don't get the impermanence. So for insight, you have to have a changing experience. So you can see that if you had that first kind of undistractedness where uh, you kind of just went into the bliss, if you wanted to connect with ch- for insight, you would need to back out of that jhana enough so you reconnect with changing experience, still, still being quite concentrated, so then you could turn to this other kind of practice called insight meditation and, and bring your attention to changing experiences. And what I've just described is our whole scene. Right? Isn't it true? Everywhere you go, you're doing insight meditation. This other kind of practice is called concentration. And the reason people say if you're doing concentration, you're not doing insight, because in that understanding, concentration's heading toward this, uh, this certain kind of undistractedness. 
there actually is insight in that kind of undistracted. There's no doubt about it. But really, fundamentally, the idea is that you need to reconnect with changing experiences. You don't want to just you know, bliss out. So uh, you can see how, if that's the understanding, and that, in our whole scene, that's the understanding. It's not the understanding within all of Buddhism, by the way. Just a little piece of history here. When Jack and Joseph and Sharon and others first came back and started teaching here in, in the West in the early, mid-70s, whenever that was, you know, they had practiced, studied with a number of different teachers and for whatever reason, I'm not sure that the, the main way they were teaching here is the style in, uh, the, of a particular great Buddha, uh, Burmese master named Mahasi. And so it's a particular understanding, which comes out of, this is a whole other thing, out of more of the commentarial, under, there's commentaries to the polytext, particular understanding. And that's become our whole scene. If they had happened to bring uh, the style of Certain other teachers, our whole scene would look completely different. And so this other way that we're talking about here on this retreat, it's not just me making it up. There's just a few of us here. Ajahn Tanisaro, who some of you know is Tan Jeff. Eugene Cash, who's one of the Spirit Rock teachers. Myself, there's more who's starting to teach in this synthesized way. And what we're doing is we're aiming for the second kind of jhana. what I call the inclusive awareness. The first time I kind, I call exclusive because your awareness ultimately excludes awareness of everything else and you're exclusively undistracted on one experience. And this second kind where the mind comes to stillness, I call inclusive awareness because it's inclusive of all experiences. Nothing is excluded. So in this kind of understanding, even if you just did concentration practice and took it as far as you wanted, it could really go to this jhana, you don't have to pull out and shift to some other kind of practice called insight meditation because you haven't lost connection with changing experience. You're deeply absorbed. It's jhana. If you, can, if you experience these two jhanas, it's different qualitatively, but it's just as undistracted. That, that's, um, that's a controversial statement I'm making, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, I am right, but... <laughs> I, I'm glad you're all laughing. <laughs> of course, it's on the recorder now, so... Uh, <laughs> you know, go up on Dharma Seed and I'm in big trouble. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> It's okay, I have a whole book here, and I've just, you know, so it's already out there. So, that, so you can already see if we did nothing but just aim for jhana. You already, you're not going to lose changing experience anything. You're going to be more uh, deeply uh, immersed. So that's one piece of why if we pay attention to how the concentration unfolds, we don't have to worry. Um, Um, in fact, I don't even use the terminology doing insight versus doing concentration. Most people talk like that. And I think you'll hear Temple probably speak like that too. He said a little bit last night, uh, but um, I just don't even think like that. The Buddha did not talk like that. In fact, the Buddha, and this, I'm not trying to get right or wrong, one of the things I, I meant to emphasize at the beginning, and this is so important, Matter of fact, I, I really apologize because this is one of the most important things I think I could say the whole retreat. From what I'm able to tell, in every style of practice that I've read about or been exposed to, there are people who've come to tremendous depths of liberation and enlightenment, practicing in all these different ways, which I actually think is good news. So it's not like one style's better or worse than another. So if we're practicing in a way that really makes a hard separation between insight and concentration or in Mahasi style or the synthesized, it's all good. Yeah. And, and we could say a lot more about that, but um, um, I'm not saying that. And this is, I, I mean, I've really come to appreciate that um, sincerely 
over the years. And it's been such a relief. In the early days of my practice, when I first started, I was young and naive. This was like 1970. And I actually had a vague idea of where things were heading. But I really didn't know much. So, and, but I was so opinionated. I didn't have much to base it on, neither in terms of experience or understanding of the traditions. And, oh, man, I was so opinionated. And over the years, when, when I finally noticed it and looked back, that the more, both from a practice experiential point of view, and also I've done a fair amount of study, uh, formalized study, uh, uh, the more I've learned and understood about the tradition and the history and the texts and different um, it's just such relief that it's just like that whole level of suffering's gone. And now, like, I re- it's, it's just so obvious that there's... And so anytime anybody says, well, really, you know, do whatever you want, but really, no. Because it's not one size fits all. We're all different. Right? There is no one size fits all practice. And there's no one size fits all uh, instruction on this retreat. We're going to be giving generic instructions in the hall, and I'm going to start in just a few moments getting into um, a little more on instructions. And, you know, the basic instruction I actually, we actually gave on Friday night in the little intro I gave, we're just doing, just think of it as a concentration retreat because we're not separating it out. So we'll just pick that. You stay with your breath, and when the samadhi's good and, it, and it's you know, the, it, it's, it, you're deepening and, and you're able to practice. Just go with that. Take it as deep as you want it and far as you want to take it. Not struggling, relax, don't try to get anywhere, but just keep practicing in a way that heads in that direction. That's all you got to know, really. And, it's not actually, but uh, because what we do then is we have to pay attention to what's actually happening moment to moment, right? And so... By, by emphasizing the concentration side, giving a lot of emphasis to the breath, we're going to really let that concentration run. And then in the times when it feels like it's falling apart, and of course it's not falling apart, that's a judgment we put on it. It's, it's just what's happening in the moment, but you know what I mean. When it feels like it's falling apart, we just have to look what's needed now. And in those times, rather than struggling to stay on, we we find ourselves on the insight side, right? It's dished up what we need to learn how our mind suffers when we don't get what we want or when we get what we don't want. To learn how can I find the liberation in the midst of this experience? You know, when our grief or our shame or our anger or whatever emotion, psychological stuff comes roaring up, we need the tools to work with it, and we don't want to shove it down thinking, I have to be with the breath. It's, and, and you didn't choose, now I'm doing insight meditation. You're just opening to the experience, right? So one thing, so there's two pieces here. We, we're staying on the concentration side, and we're going to stay attuned to, to, to let the concentration or either naturally open to this inclusive style or steer it back to the inclusive style if we start peeling off towards the exclusive style. So even within the concentration, the deep insights are there. And then on its own, you don't have to go looking. You don't have to turn to insight. You'll get lots of opportunities. That's, by the way, why we are encouraging everyone here to make yourself as comfortable as you can. Take care of yourself. You're going to get lots of times to, to work with your suffering. It's going to come find you. Yeah? Of course. When that happens, this is what we need to do. We need to have enough attunement. We need to open to what's happening with the... Now, now the talk's moving on to the more insight-oriented side of what we're talking about. We want to meet our experience with an attitude of interest and curiosity. Wouldn't that, just imagine if, as you went through your whole life, daily life, retreat, whatever you did, and you met moment by moment whatever was happening with, with interest and curiosity. So it was kind of like, 
what's this? And what's needed? So it's not like, oh, this terrible thing came, and and I want to, actually, let me pause for a moment. I want to be super respectful that when these terrible things come, like, you know, look, I'm not uh, being dismissive that we need to be respectful and that there is the terrible thing and we, it's, it is too much and it's not okay and all that kind of stuff. There's, that's that part of our lives that we want to be respectful of. I hope you really hear that, right? You know, it's like the serenity prayer. Um, God grant me the... Oh, boy. Um, basically, what it's saying is... Uh, <laughs> You want to, if you can change it, change it. If you can't, hopefully you have the ability to, the equanimity to, to work to be with it and the wisdom to know the difference between when, when it's time to change it. But we don't want to forget that there's always times when we should change it, when we should try to change what's going on. In, we certainly know there's lots of things in the world that we should try to change. There's injustice, there's wars, there's all kinds of things. Sitting here in meditation, there's times when you should change it. Out of kindness to yourself, like stretch your knee out, your leg out. Sometimes maybe you want to stay with it to learn how to work with your suffering. But other times, you know. So, you know, so having said that, I'm going to emphasize the the not changing at times when we... uh, Bring that attitude, and so then it's just like, what's happening right now? And it's an experimental attitude. And if we, do, if we start to see every experience as our teacher, which it is, it's a big shift. Big shift. And then, if you can really get that, this one tip, you'll never have a bad retreat again, Ever. There's just what's happening, and it's just like, what's going on? Oh, it's my teacher. Can I be with this? Whatever answer you get is okay. Even if the answer is, no way, no how. Me and God are going to have it out right out here, and if this doesn't change. (laughs) And if that Dharma teacher talks to me one more time about being with my experience, I'm going to sock him. (laughs) Right? If that's our answer, that's giving us good information. That's okay. I mean, it's suffering. But we just change. Oh, what's going on? No, I can't be with this. I'm mad. I'm pissed off. I can't do this. I'm in despair. Whatever's going on. Oh, I, can't. I don't know how to meet this experience. That's open. So then, then maybe, there's, maybe we go talk to someone. Maybe we um, try something out. Try to tune into our inner wisdom. Well, what do I think's needed here? We try this. And even if it was the opposite, you know, the exact wrong thing, attitude of interest and curiosity. Everything's our teacher. Oh, that didn't work. In fact, that really created a lot more suffering. Huh, okay. Note to self don't do that again when this happens, right? It's a learning. I'm trying to be a little humorous, but really I think this is an important attitude. And so we're open, we're receptive to whatever's happening. We're not afraid. And when it all settles out, which will happen more and more of the time, we can be happy, We, we can take joy, just go right back on the concentration side and just keep it going. And we're just attuned to the next time. And again, you don't have to wait long. I mean, you can be in John in the morning and come to know that there really are hell realms in the afternoon. It can be that extreme. I mean, hopefully we're not, but, you know. So what we want to do is not do anything that takes us out of our present moment experience. And that includes, if we're, you can see now why we want to bring in the attitude of not over-grasping for samadhi. Because already we've, we've set up kind of, a, in a way, an adversarial relationship with ourselves and what's going on. Got to get. There's that got to get. I know something about that. It's a suffering generator. And if you don't know, you know, if you happen, and, and me telling you, if you have a mind that's conditioned that way, 
Me saying it is not going to make any difference because it's the pattern in your mind. Okay, so we suffer sometimes, we'll learn. Yeah? So, coming towards the end of the talk, the recap. Stay with the concentration. Just, I, I want to say go for it, but then that already, I know in some people's minds. <laughs> but see, when I say go for it, I don't mean, yeah, go for it. I just mean, just let yourself cultivate that in a wholesome way. Don't turn what's beautiful and wholesome into an object of craving. Then what is in service of liberation just becomes a defilement of mind. And that'll happen to all of us. And okay, it happens, you know. So I'm not worried about you getting attached. Listen, you're going to. These pleasant states, I mean, for, all, for those of you who know, I mean, don't they feel great? I mean, really great? Wouldn't you rather feel that than your despair? But what happens is, as we start to learn on the insight side, as we start to open with that attitude that everything's our teacher, a huge shift happened for me. I've I've shared this on other retreats that a few of you have been on, but this was an important change in my practice. And when I realized what was going on, it was so liberating, that I noticed I was just as interested in my suffering as I was in my bliss. Like it wasn't just kind of a nice idea. It was actually, it had been, it had been actualized for me. And I'm not saying that, I've, you know, you come into this perfect state, state of it or, you know, until we're Buddhas ourselves, by definition, we'll still have places where we can suffer, sure. But it's a big shift. And supported by the samadhi, when that gets strong, we're so clear and we're able to watch the unpleasant experience happening, whatever it is, Mind, body, heart, whatever. And we just see the mind even reacting. And there's a deeper equanimity under that that can even get interested in, like, this is what's happening in the mind. It's not that the mind, it, it, there's, at some level, the mind doesn't react. But, but there's another level where even when we're suffering and we're caught, there can be a level of clarity that can even come to that and lack of confusion. And we can be interested and say, this is teaching me something. Because, you know, we say we want to uh, understand our suffering, right? Well, how is, it that you, um, um, how is it that you understand anything? Yeah, through experience. Well, we say we want to understand suffering, but nobody wants to suffer. I'm not saying go look for suffering, but it's actually an important part of what happens. Yeah? Jack Kornfield in his book, um, Path with Heart, I believe. It's been so long since I read it, but I think it's in the very first chapter. He talks about coming back after being a monk for years in Asia. And he said he could sit in like for six to eight hours in, with his deep samadhi and, and all this. But, but he came back and he realized he was emotionally immature and he didn't know about relationships. And there was whole parts that had never had an opportunity, those Conditioned patterns had never had an opportunity to get activated, I guess, or to be accessed. And so they were just patterns that ended up, there was no need. And so he was in whatever states of consciousness he was in Asia. And he came back here and all of a sudden there was whole other parts that needed um, work. I think once humorously, and he said this in public, so, and it, just because he says it doesn't mean it's true, but he talked about a whole group of people coming back as um, semi-enlightened idiots. <laughs> and I think what he was saying is that there really was the part that it had tremendous, real depths of awakening. And, you know, there, there, there was this whole thing of spiritual bypass that could happen or we think, you know, things don't get dealt with. And once we start realizing that the path to liberation is not out, it's not like the express train to... Whatever I'm gonna use non-Buddhist language to God. It's in. It's through our body. It's through our minds. Whatever it is, the whole, the beauty, and the difficulties. And one of the things that we'll all discover, and if you haven't, uh, just trust me on this. 
you'll come to see places of tremendous beauty and profundity that you had no idea was there. And you're going to come to places that you didn't even want to know was in there. Both strengthen. It's just part of what we are as human beings, right? We're a mix. And so we want to open, and and wouldn't you rather know those things than not know? I had a situation um, when my father uh, was dying in 2003. uh, And we were, oh man, everybody was sleep deprived, and there was a lot of disagreement about how to handle it in the family. And anyway, I'll spare you the details, but it was really rough, and we were just raw and sleep deprived. Uh, I almost got in a fist fight with my brother. I've been a Dharma teacher already for 15 years. <laughs> I don't think we really got in a fist fight, but at some point, one of us, I don't know who started Well, he started it. <laughs> I don't know who started it, but one of us raised our hand, and we weren't actually cursing, but it was something, I think it wasn't that bad. It was something like, and please excuse my language, and I know this is going on the recorder, but I want to give you some sense. With raised voices, it was something like, you know, God damn it, you're just pissing me off and why don't you and it was that level I mean I would never talk to anyone like that so I thought and actually I I'm, I'm have some it's so painful just to just to recount that I'm just feeling a little some tears are coming up just to and actually at some point my brother got in my face like this and he says come on let's go out to the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> I've never been I'm and I'm not. And, and, and fortunately, I snapped out of the trance in about two seconds. But I said, "Let's go." <laughs> and we both start walking out the hospital. My, my poor father is right there. My mother and my other brother sitting there going. Uh, later, he said he thought we were joking. He didn't realize it was just. He could, we're down the hall, and I stopped, and I just went, "Wait a minute." we're not going to fight. And I snapped out of it. What was so painful is I had to, you know, it's not that I can never be angry or I'm a human being or never get annoyed or anything, but generally I'm a pretty equanimous, people know me, easygoing, loving guy. That's how I am. I had to um, come to terms with that there can be, and I want to use the word I'm choosing here for Hatred in my heart that I can burn in hate. And I had to, to come to some acceptance like, you know, there's this place in there. Like, I don't want that to be in there. It's in there. It can, it can be that bad. I mean, it would take a lot to trigger that. But the, the potential is there. And since then, um, I've had times when it's because something had gotten access that maybe I hadn't ever before. And then so it's like, how do we work with that? And it's not like I need to judge it. And I mean, obviously, I, I still have some work because I can get a little teary about it, right? Because it's like, I don't want that in my heart. I have an aspiration to live in a way, a real aspiration, so that my heart never shuts off under any circumstances to any being. It's a real conscious aspiration. And I've got, of course, you know, work to do. So when, when, when we find the parts in us that we can't bear or can't accept... Right? We found ourselves on the insight side. And one of the things that happens through the concentration of the samadhi is there's a cooking that happens. Right? It cooks us. And through that cooking, things come up. And it's not that things are going wrong, it's, it's a real opportunity for us. If we can stay open and receptive. So with the instructions tomorrow, we'll actually start to add in some of the how-tos of this. But I hope you get the sense of how we can um, learn to sort of surf the waves or just flow with the ebbs, the flows, the ups and downs, all the changes of our experience. And it really all comes down to building our toolkit and that comes through experience and trial and error, so that we're more skillful at knowing 
And, and you know, you know when a, a carpenter never grabs a screwdriver when they, when they need to hammer a nail. Never. Don't even have to think. Hammer comes out. And they don't even have to think. They come in, you know, if there was a cracked beam in the ceiling and they were repairing it, they'd come in, they would look, and you would know, right, through experience. They'd bring the ladder, they'd get up, they'd whatever. So we're through experience. And some of it's trial and error, and some of it is failing. Where we did get caught, or we tried the wrong thing. It's not really a failure. but right? And um, that's what we're doing. With experience, more and more tools are there. We're more fluent. Yeah? And then we know when we're on the concentration side, it's, we don't have to think. We, we just, with a, with a gracious heart, just slide onto the, where we're leaning on the inside side. And we're happy for both, and we're kind of surfing back and forth, yeah? And it's just one thing. And so I'll just end. I, I, I like to think of this as the have your cake and eat it too uh, school of meditation. <laughs> Go for jhana. As long as you're not clinging and you're relaxed, not str- over-striving. You can have your jhana, you can have your insight, your mindfulness, your four foundations of mindfulness, your concentration. All. You don't have to choose. I want to end with a quote um, from an old Indian guru named Meher Baba. Back in the late 60s and early 70s, there were these posters, at least here in the Bay Area. Uh, it showed Meher Baba. He had this big grin, this super bushy black mustache, and he's grinning. And it just said, don't worry, be happy. Meher Baba. That's where that came from. There was the song, Meher Baba. Don't worry, be happy. That was it. And that was back when I was young and you know opinionated about everything and, and naive. And I was actually practicing in these Hindu yoga oriented yoga traditions. And I would see that and I'd think, well, you know, I mean that's kind of nice, but it's kinda like maybe it's not that deep. Maybe what you what you would say to kids, little kids or something. Yeah, I missed it. <laughs> missed the profundity. So keeping this this attitude, I want to just offer an experiment to end, keeping this attitude that we've been talking about, or at least being open to trying to cultivate this attitude of we're, we're going to bring in the skillful means. What are the techniques to keep deepening the samadhi? And the reminders of how to open to the insight when we need to. Those are the techniques. But the bigger container is an attitude of this interest, curiosity, letting everything be our teacher. If we can keep that attitude... We actually don't have to worry, and we can be happy, right? So just to let, let the words, if you just let yourself, maybe you're already connected into your body mindfully. But just, I'm going to just say those simple words, but really let them land and soak in and see if you can carry that attitude with you. And, and I don't know how it's going to land for you. You have to see. It might just bounce off. I don't know. What does it feel like? Don't worry. Be happy. It's the whole Dharma. Let's sit quietly for a few moments.
So thank you for your kind attention, um, for your practice. You know, it's just great to be able to hang out and it's uh, just be a support for each other and get the support. Um, so let me just say something. Um, it's what, a few minutes over. It's 20 minutes to nine now. So what we'll do is we'll just have the sh- for those of you who are coming back. We'll just uh, stay uh, on the same schedule. Have 20 minutes for the walking, and then we'll still come back here at nine o'clock uh, for this half-hour closing sit. So thank you.